Hey Church, it's uh, so good to have the opportunity to talk to you. Uh, if you don't know me, uh, my name is Josh, uh, part of the Divergent Global Family. Uh, chances are the church you're sitting in right now, the community, uh, was started by myself and my wife, or if not, uh, it's related to, to part of our journey. And you know, I get such deep satisfaction out of being able to speak the word. And I, by such, uh, I don't mean uh, preaching as such, I mean the opportunity to speak the word. And so right where you are right now, what I want you to do first is I want you to lean in. I want you to lean in because if you lean back, that's an entertainment pose. I'm not here to entertain you. I'm here to hopefully be part of the equipping of the saints for ministry, to readjust and transform our minds in the light of everything Jesus has done, in the light of the glory and the wisdom and the, the greatness of God, that we might be totally transformed individuals. And guess what? People who sit back, who put their feet up and who hopefully wait for some bread just to fall on them, they don't get that. You know, there were so many people that sat in the crowd at a distance and they never, ever got what Jesus had for them because they never drew close to his words truly. I'm going to get there in a little while, but at the very beginning of Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be in here uh, Wherever you are, whenever you are, we're going to be here in Matthew chapter 5. At the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, it says this. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountainside and sat down. And note this, his disciples came to him. He saw the crowds, but his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. You know, here's the reality. You can be in the crowd or you can be a disciple. You can't be both. You have a choice wherever you sit right now to lean in and take the word of God. You can hang around and be amazed at Jesus from a distance or you can hear his word and hear his heart like the disciples did. That's our option. You know, right now in society, we live in, I'll, I'll be straight up, we live in such a messed up world. We live in an upside down world where, where good is evil, evil is good. Anything goes unless you say something specific has to go. We, we live in a world where uh, we affirm science until it doesn't suit us. We are in a place which just has missed the point. But when we look at the world, can I tell you, you should be disturbed, but you should not be discouraged. You, you should feel a sense of uh, a dislocation in a sense in this world because you do not belong to this world. You are foreigners. You are aliens in this world. We speak a different language. We have a different father. We live under a different kingdom. We are called to be those who turn the world upside down. You know, the way we see this world should be totally different than the way the rest of the world sees it. The Bible tells us that contrary to opinion, we are not inherently good, but evil. Now, I, you probably never had to say this at church, but I want you to hear, say this out loud so your ears can hear it. I'm actually inherently evil. Now, admittedly, hopefully you already know Christ and so your heart has been changed. You have been declared a son or a daughter, but... It's important to stay truth even when it hurts because the only way to healing, the only way to restoration is through the valley of the shadow of death at times. It's that moment when you realize everything isn't actually good and it doesn't matter how much you confess positive 
falsehoods, it doesn't make it true. It doesn't matter if it makes you feel good for a moment or if you live in denial, it doesn't actually fix the problem. So when we are disturbed by the world we live in, the world we see, the world we're listening to, it should lead to a place of defiance, godly, wise resistance and defiance because we are called not to to be nice to the world but we're called to be kind to the world and kindness is actually reflected primarily in the death and the resurrection of Jesus why did Jesus die because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God that's kindness it might be nice your friends and your family may not appreciate that statement but it's the kindest thing you'll ever say it's the kind it's the kindest thing you'll ever outwork we live in a society where greatness is about self-promotion it's about likes it's about self-affirmation even a matter of fact we have a entire self-affirmation movement that's even in the church wider Can I tell you, your words in self-affirmation mean nothing compared to the truth of what God has to say about you. And if you are a son or a daughter of God, then nothing else, even that you say that might be positive, actually compares to the authority of the word of God. I want you to catch this. Because this means as a son or daughter of God, you can walk and you can fail. And don't worry, he has declared you a son or a daughter of God. The affirmation you and I need is not from self. And it's not even from the people sitting beside you. And maybe they'll be encouraging. And hopefully some people have a gift of encouragement. But today I want to encourage you to listen to truth. You know, it, it's old sort of hashtag and it's old, old, uh, old saying. But there's that old phrase like YOLO. You only live once. And it's sort of true. But then judgment. Hebrews uh, 927 tells us is clear clearly that people are appointed to die once and then to face judgment that turns actually the world upside down it it's not comfortable but it's true can I tell you your self-worth is not based on uh, your gender identity it's not based on what you've done it's not based on your intellectual capacity it's not based on what comes into your bank account every month your, your value is found in what Christ has done for you and I. And can I tell you, this is really important, even as we move ahead. Nothing is more valuable than the person Jesus died for. And Jesus died for the whole world, especially those who believe, as John tells us. So where have you placed your value? And I want you to come on this journey with me because if we're to be those people that turn the world upside down, then we actually need to be those people who don't really listen to the edicts and the mandates and the authorities of this world. Rather, we should be those people that are willing to walk in such a way that is against the very flow and edicts and nature of this world. The world which right now affirms fear. If you're fearful, you're a good person. If you're feeling a bit uncomfortable with the world and so you feel like stepping out despite, mm, might be something wrong with you. It doesn't sound like the Bible to me. You know, we should be wise people. We should take genuine uh, precaution at times. But can I tell you, when Peter stepped out of the water and he was called by Jesus, it, it, the greatest chance is that he could not swim. Generally, fishermen could not swim. Maybe it was the case. 
that was a pretty unwise thing to do. But when God calls you to do it, it's the wisest thing you can ever do. And that's, that's the crucial key. Because it's important that when Jesus came, the new king was in town. And the new king has never left. The new king has not been dethroned. It doesn't matter which political persuasion you may be of. It doesn't matter what persuasion of any kind you may be of. Jesus is the king. You can't vote him out. Jesus is the king. And when he says it, it is the case. A new king has come and he has a kingly, a kingdom domain. If you come with me briefly to uh, Matthew 4.23, it says this, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and illness among the people. Keep this in mind when thinking about Jesus. This is what Jesus was doing, declaring the new kingdom. Matthew 9.35, all, almost verbatim, uh, we find a similar summary. And it says this, And Jesus went about in all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the kingdom, or rather the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and infirmity. Jesus comes to Matthew chapter 5. Put your finger in Matthew chapter 5 and keep it there. Jesus comes to, uh, well, at least we come to where Jesus is described in this manner in Matthew chapter 5. And he starts to shape the very core values and ideals of the kingdom that he is preaching. When Jesus speaks the Beatitudes as we now know them, he is declaring key values of the kingdom. He is declaring what is the blessed life. What the blessed life under the king looks like. He's declaring the values. And I want you to keep that for a moment. And I've, I've talked about this before, uh, if you've ever heard me speak. But we, we use blessed or uh, that sort of idea, hashtag blessed, in a way that I'm quite sure Jesus would not. And it's important to realize that blessed in the Greek means deeply, deeply satisfied. It's not a fleeting feeling. It's not sitting on the beach and looking at a sunrise. That's, that's a blessing. Don't mishear me. But the blessing that Jesus talks about exists in the midst of persecution. The blessing that Jesus talks about exists in the midst of loss. The blessing that Jesus talks about is not determined by the circumstances around you, but determined by the one who has chosen you. Blessed, it says, in uh, verse 3 of chapter 5 of Matthew. Blessed or deeply satisfied are the poor in spirit. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Future tense. Blessed are the meek, the self-controlled, those who withhold their ability to impose power. Why? For they will inherit the earth. Despite everything you see, here's the facts of the kingdom. The meek will inherit it, not the, not the strong and not the, not the loudest and not those who can intimidate in the context of politics or economics or whatever it might be. The meek will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted 
because of righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven this sort of blessing is not what you are normally and not what i am normally posting on instagram if i were to post some of these things on instagram with hashtag blessed i am sure that it would shock you if you were to see a child who had lost their father because of persecution and someone were to post blessed you would nearly be highly offended at such a statement but that's what jesus says it is persecution is an opportunity to walk in the blessing under the kingdom of god and so the question has to be in this is where is your satisfaction Where do you draw deep satisfaction? Blessed are you, it says in verse 11. You want to go hashtag blessed? Catch this. Blessed are you when people insult you. When they persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. You know, I do believe that we're coming into an age where the world will say all kinds of things falsely against you because of Jesus. And sometimes it might even sound a little bit credible. Can I encourage you, when someone makes an accusation from the wider world against the Christian church, against a Christian, at least pause. At least pause. And actually ask, is this true? Because so often Christians in the attempt to please the world jump on the bandwagon of the kingdom of darkness. Blessed are you where people insult you and say all kinds of false things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because it's going to happen. Because great is your reward in heaven. I'm not saying this life is going to be easy, but can I tell you, great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. They're going to persecute you. They're going to say all kinds of things. So where is your security? I often talk about the the link between responsibility and authority. But remember, our first responsibility is to faith. Everything not of faith is sin, we read elsewhere in Scripture. The authority birthed from faith is beyond our own. It's authority born of the heavenlies. It brings life. It's something that over, it overcomes fear and control. We have a responsibility to live reckless by the world's standards. Time and time again, both in the prophets and with Jesus himself and with his disciples, by worldly standards, they lived recklessly. By kingdom standards, they live responsibility. Uh, they rather live responsibly, outworking the reality of faith. We have a responsibility to live for something we cannot achieve, but that which Christ alone brings. We have a responsibility to anchor our hope, not in what is tangible, but what is intangible. A reality anchored in what Christ has done and where he has gone before us. He is the firstborn from the dead. And so we can be confident of our own resurrection. Michael Wilcox says this, In the life of God's people, it will be seen, first of all, a remarkable reversal of values. The people of God will prize what the world calls pitiable and suspect what the world thinks is desirable. Hear that. The things that the world considers to be desirable, we should be a little suspect of. 
If the world is running after something, can I encourage us, we probably should at least press pause and go, what is happening? Allow the Spirit of God and allow the Word of God and allow the people of God to speak in these moments. Keep on coming with me in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. You are the salt. Can I tell you, when you walk into a place in the world, it should bring value. But can I tell you, you should also be a little bit confronting to people. If you don't make someone snarl a little bit, then chances are you're not speaking truth. Because the world does not love truth. The world does not love the light. The world did not love Jesus by and large. It was the exception to the rule by and large. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that you may see that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Can I let me, let me tell you why you are here? Let me tell you why you're here. This is a message paraphrase. Now, anyone who knows me actually knows that I'm not particularly a big fan of the message paraphrase. But let's take it as a paraphrase rather than a, probably a, a true translation. I think it. The, Eugene Peterson still captures the tone of Scripture really well. Let me tell you why you are here. You are here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors in this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and you'll end up being in the garbage. If we smell and we taste and we look like the world, then we are the world. He keeps on going and says this in the message, paraphrase. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public, and this is public uh, as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, don't you think I'm going to, do you think I'm going to hide you under a bucket? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now, I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand. Shine. Don't hide your light. Keep open house. Be generous with your life. I love that statement. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up to God. They're generous and the generous Father in heaven. You know, firstly, where is, where is your satisfaction? Secondarily, where, where is your security? Because if your security is found in this world, then your security will determine your steps. Where is your security? Because your security will determine your stance in life. And thirdly, what are you set toward? The Apostle Paul said this in Colossians 3, chapter 1. I have set my mind on things, uh, I have set my mind not on things below, but on things that are above. My life is hid with God in Christ. I have They've intentionally, and you get this of the Apostle Paul all the time. His life is a life of intention. I have set my eyes not on those things which are below, but on that which is above in Christ. Philippians 4.8 says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, what is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is 
excellent or praiseworthy. Think about such things. Right now, there's probably a lot of things you've been thinking about. But are they excellent things? Are they pure things? Are they noble things? Are they right things? Or is it doubt and distraction? Is it intimidation? Is it the way of this world? Is it the corruption that will come through your eyes through when you're watching Netflix or whatever it might be? Set your eyes on those things which are above, not those things which are below. And the Apostle Paul here is talking of the below in a negative regard. He's not talking about the general world. We know that the world we live in has the mark of God on it, but it's also deeply, deeply broken. And so we need to set our mind on the King of kings and the Lord of lords and everything that is in his righteousness. What are you set toward? Often we get caught up in setting our eyes on the way the world sets its eyes. We anchor into academic pathways. We anchor into career pathways. We anchor into familial, family pathways. We anchor into our cultural backgrounds and we presume that these things are innately good. Can I tell you, there's nothing innately good about receiving more money from your workplace. There's nothing innately good about getting a promotion. There's nothing, and this is going to surprise you, there's nothing innately good about getting married. Sometimes people get married and they're doing so out of the wrong place and they're in effect marrying the wrong person. Now, the truth of the matter is you will marry the wrong person because there's no such thing as an absolute right person. You become right. You become one. Can I encourage you to to throw yourself in the deep end of the grace of God? To use the position you have in life, whether you're married or single, whether you're working or not, whether you're studying or wherever you might be, set your eyes not on the things below, but on the things above. And when you set your mind on the things above, it'll affect the things below. It'll affect every area of your life. So those three questions. Where is your satisfaction? Where is your security? And where is your uh, your I guess your gaze set. Because when our satisfaction is in Christ and when our security is in Christ and when our life is set on Christ, our standard, our standing rather, our standing is is defined by Christ. We are sons and daughters and no one can take that from you. Remember, Colossians calls us and it says this he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness Colossians 3 1 and brought us into the kingdom of his dear son the world's really confusing right now I spend far too long uh, deliberating in my mind as to what needs to be done I'm probably like many people and some people swing this way or that way in regard to their thoughts about the world but Sometimes I'm distracted by what is below when I need to set my eyes on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one who loves you so much, he died for you. And as such, he calls us to lay down our own life. And so today, I'm not, I'm not asking you to make a decision to receive Jesus in your heart or something like that. I'm asking you to follow Jesus in everything. Because a new king is in town and he has paid a price and he has shown us glory and he has shown us God's ability 
So don't make a decision to invite Jesus in your heart like this is some emotional moment. You need to make a decision to follow Jesus in your workplace and your school, even when the world ridicules you for it. Because when it ridicules you and you, it says false things about you, guess what? You're right in the sweet spot of the kingdom of God. So let's pray. Let's pray. God, we, we declare, we recognize your kingship. You are king and you are Lord of Lords. You are the one who defines our lives. You are our authority. You are our life. And you are our security. And in you, our standing is secure. In everything you've done. In everything you promised. And so, Lord, we pray that we would listen to the world. And in one sense, we would be disturbed. But Lord, we pray that it would not lead to discouragement or despair, but rather it would lead to a godly defiance where we would stand in the kingdom, the values that you have uh, laid down yourself because we sit under the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Um, Lord, we love you so much because you first loved us. Lord, take us. Lord, make us. Lord, mold us continually in your image, in your name. Amen. Just lastly, guys, I just really do want to speak this into your life. I want you to hear it. There is so much temptation in the world now to be intimidated. And the world is increasingly becoming condescending toward Christians for everything and anything. And sure, People can come up with with all sorts of excuses as why it may be appropriate. But Jesus doesn't accept those excuses and neither should you. So stand in Christ. I'm not talking about standing in your own identity because your identity is fleeting. But stand in Christ. Stand firm and look right into the heart of what God has for you and what God has for this world. Uh, We love you. And uh, more importantly, God loves you. God bless you guys.